Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about flaring pollution. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. The future of the northern white rhino is looking bleak. Only two are left in the world. Both are female. But scientists have a costly plan to save them from extinction. There are two major divisions of rhino, and they are both dark gray. The two major divisions are the black rhino and the white rhino. The black rhino has a pointed mouth and eats brush. The white rhino comes from the Dutch word weit, meaning wide. Their mouth is wide, which makes it a grass grazer. There are two subspecies of white rhino, the northern and the southern. The northern white rhino is smaller and less hairy than the southern white rhino. The only two northern white rhinos remaining are in a national park in central Kenya. They live in a massive fenced-off area of Olapajeta Conservancy. There is serious fencing around the huge park, resembling that seen in the movie Jurassic Park. Plus, the rhinos are guarded 24-7. Poaching of rhinos is a serious threat. In 2009, four northern white rhinos, two males and two females, were brought from a zoo in the Czech Republic to a large enclosure within Olpacheta in an attempt to get them to breed. The thinking was that if they were taken to a rhino's natural habitat, this might change. But it didn't work. The four mated, but the two females, Najin and her daughter Fatu, did not give birth. Then the two males died. First, 34-year-old Sunni died of natural causes in 2014. Then, four years later, 45-year-old Sudan was put down because of wounds to his skin that would not heal, and his muscles and bones had degenerated. Now, Najin and Fatu are the only northern white rhinos left in the world, and neither can carry a pregnancy. This has not deterred scientists from all over the world from trying to save the species, and they have come up with a rather extraordinary scheme It involves carefully preserved sperm taken from Sunni and Sudan and other male northern white rhinos before they died. They had collected it with the intention of artificially inseminating the females. However, these insemination attempts failed. So they moved on to trying to make an embryo in the lab. That created another challenge, getting hold of the egg. For the veterinary expert leading the process, it proved very complicated indeed to reach the ovaries as they are five feet inside a female rhino. Intestinal loops also get in the way, according to Dr. Thomas Hildebrandt from the Leibniz Institute for Zoo and Wildlife Research in Berlin. A tube cannot be put into a rhino's vagina, as can be done with humans and horses, he says. 
In big cats, vets go through the abdomen to get to the ovaries, explained Dr. Hildebrandt, who heads the reproduction unit at the zoo. Going through the abdomen involves cutting the skin, something that cannot be done to rhinos because the cut never heals and the animal will eventually die. Dr. Hildebrandt created an instrument to collect the eggs. It was a tube which enters through the anus and has a long delicate needle at its end with which to pierce an ovary follicle where an egg is stored. The needle is connected to a suction device which sucks the egg down the long tube. You need to operate it precisely, he said. Otherwise, you can puncture a huge blood vessel that has a diameter of a child's arm. That would result in internal bleeding and ultimately death, so he uses an ultrasound scanner, enabling him to see everything during the procedure. If done correctly, the effect on the rhino is minimal, Dr. Hildebrand said. But the operation can be no longer than two hours, since that is how long a rhino can be safely anesthetized. Last year, Dr. Hildebrandt managed to extract 19 eggs in total from both Najin and Fatou. The next step was to fertilize each egg with the sperm. For this pioneering work, they needed an in vitro fertilization expert. Cesare Galli, based at a private lab in Italy, is the world expert. So as soon as the eggs were collected, they had to be rushed from Kenya to Italy. Dr. Gali had struggled to make embryos from other rhino species in the past, since sperm from rhinos tends to be of a low quality because it is mixed with urine. Dr. Gali took years to perfect the method with Sumatran rhinos and southern white rhinos, making a breakthrough by giving an electric charge to an egg to get it and the sperm to form an embryo. He made two embryos with the first delivery of eggs in August 2019 and one more embryo with the second delivery four months later. They are currently being preserved in his lab. Now the task is reduced to finding proper surrogates. The plastics industry is exploiting the COVID-19 crisis to reverse progress on eliminating single-use plastics. The industry is using the pandemic to scare people about the safety risk in using reusable bags, claiming that they transmit disease. It's industry lobbyists who are making this claim, not peer-reviewed scientific research or medical professionals. The claim is based on industry-funded studies that the lobbyists have twisted to suggest that single-use plastics are safer for human health but the claim amounts to a ploy to sell more single-use plastic products and to defeat or repeal plastic ban legislation. Because of the plastic's false claims, New York City and New Hampshire have halted their single-use plastic bag bans. It's not yet clear whether this stoppage is a delay or a permanent reversal of the progress made in fighting single-use plastics. The plastics industry, a lobbying group, has gone so far as to send a letter to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services urging the agency to, quote, make a public statement on the health and safety benefits seen in single-use plastics, end quote. The plastic crisis has polluted the world's oceans and created mountains and landfills. Microplastics are a related problem. They are in our water, they also travel on the winds and slowly drop down from the skies. 
Now, a new study has found that some of the most untouched areas of the U.S. are seeing a thousand tons or more of microplastics rain down every year, according to the New York Times. The study examined airborne microplastics in national parks in the American West. That means those hikes through Bryce Canyon, the Grand Canyon, or Joshua Tree National Park are not providing the pristine, fresh air we thought they did. The researchers found that nearly one-fourth of the microplastics come from nearby cities, while the rest drift through the air from far-flung locations. The findings, the first to discern the microplastics' geographic origins, add to mounting evidence that microplastic pollution is a worldwide scourge, as science reported. The Vatican urged Catholics to closely consider where they invest their money and to take a close look at the environmental impact of the companies they may be shareholders in, as Reuters reported. Pope Francis has frequently criticized wanton greed that has led to environmental degradation and a climate crisis that is uprooting the lives of the world's most vulnerable and impoverished people. On Earth Day, the Pope gave a speech in which he said that humans have sinned against the Earth. To follow up on the pontiff's works, the Vatican has released a manual for church leaders and workers that included the guidance to end investments in weapons manufacturing, defense systems, and fossil fuels, and to closely monitor companies in the energy sector to see if their actions are causing environmental harm, according to Reuters. In Southern California, Earth Justice, a nonprofit environmental law firm, and East Yard Communities for Environmental Justice, a grassroots organization, recently notified the EPA, the South Coast Air Quality Management District, and the corporation Phillips 66 of their intention to file a lawsuit against Phillips for its repeated and ongoing violations of the Clear Air Act. Phillips 66 operates petroleum refineries in the towns of Wilmington and Carson. According to two young people living near the refineries who have become members of the East Yard Group, they grew up with air pollution daily, thinking it was normal for the air to feel thick when they inhaled, and normal to struggle to breathe and to experience strange smells and unexplained headaches. They realized the refineries were poisoning their communities and joined East Yard, the mission of which is to empower residents of East Los Angeles, Southeast Los Angeles, and Long Beach to hold agencies and industries accountable for their actions that affect the community's health and quality of life. Equipment leaks are the largest source of toxic emissions at petroleum refineries, and Phillips ignores rules under the Clear Air Act requiring them to repair their leaks. The South Coast Air Quality Management District itself documented that the Phillips 66 refineries are leaking 200 times more benzene, a known carcinogen, than they report. The health impacts of refineries' activities are high rates of cancer, respiratory illness, and cardiovascular disease, made worse now by COVID-19's damage to the lungs. Two weeks ago, WFHB reported that President Donald Trump had opened the only marine national monument in the Atlantic to commercial fishing. This sparked the ire of conservationists. Now some conservationists are suing 
to stop him and preserve the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument, which protects 5,000 square miles of unique ocean habitat off Cape Cod. Quote, Trump has once again eliminated critical natural resource protections on a whim and with no legal authority, end quote. Brad Campbell, president of the Boston-based Conservation Law Foundation, said in a press release announcing his organization's decisions to sue, quote, This lawless act upends over a century of practice by presidents of both parties and puts all national monuments on the block for the highest political bidder, end quote. The monument was created by President Barack Obama in 2016 using the Antiquities Act. It protects an estimated 54 species of deep-sea coral and hundreds of other marine animals, including endangered species like North Atlantic right whales and Kemp's Ridley sea turtles, the Boston Globe reported. It is also home to four underwater mountains and three underwater canyons deeper than the Grand Canyon. The commercial fishing industry had argued that the creation of the monument was an overreach of federal authority that hurt livelihoods. Before its formation, fishermen said as many as 80 boats fished the area. Quote, President Obama swept aside our public science-based fishery management process with the stroke of a pen, end quote. Bob Vanass, executive director of the fisherman lobby group Saving Seafood, told the Boston Globe. But in a lawsuit filed in Washington, D.C. Wednesday, the Center for Biological Diversity and Natural Resources Defense Council argued that Trump's reversal was an overreach. The president may use the Antiquities Acts to designate a monument, but only Congress can undo protections. No matter the outcome, the fact remains that there are few fish left in the Gulf of Maine. Most species populations are down by over 95% of what they were in 1800. Sanctuary areas are proven to be effective in regenerating populations. Fishermen do well fishing their perimeters. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about flaring pollution. A coalition of 10 groups from across the nation, including Indiana, plans to sue the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to update three-decade-old regulations on industrial flare emissions. Industrial flares are used to burn off organic pollutants and waste gases like butane and a natural gas emitted by facilities all around Indiana and other parts of the U.S. They are usually easy to spot because they're large flames that light up the sky at night. But not all of the pollutants burn up during flaring, resulting in the emission of greenhouse gases like methane and carbon dioxide, as well as carcinogens like volatile organic compounds and hazardous air pollutants. Indiana sadly has some of the worst air pollution in the U.S. The state ranks 43rd in the nation for air quality and 40th in health outcomes. The Hoosier Environmental Council and nine other groups from various states served the EPA with a notice that it would sue the agency over its failure to update the general flare requirements for decades, a violation of the Clean Air Act. The coalition said the general control device requirements for flares in the Clean Air Act's new source performance standards have not been reviewed since their introduction in 1986. That is a violation of the law, which mandates a review of those and other standards every eight years. 
This is Hoosier Environmental Council's Executive Director, Jesse Carbanda. The goal is to have the EPA commit to revisiting the general flare standards and agreeing to modernize them to reflect the very latest science. Because once again, what happens is if we're going by flare standards that were written literally decades ago, then we are potentially allowing a whole variety of industries that are largely in the fossil fuel sector to be emitting more pollutants into the air, more volatile organic compounds, more hazardous air pollutants like benzene into the environment, which needlessly hurts people. Breathing in a small amount of benzene can cause convulsions, rapid heart rate, and unconsciousness. Long-term exposure can disrupt blood cell production, harm the immune system, and even cause acute myeloid leukemia, a type of cancer that affects the bone marrow. Benzene is one of many harmful chemicals known as volatile organic compounds and hazardous air pollutants that are emitted during industrial flaring throughout the state. Carbanda says facilities with industrial flares are located in nearly every region in Indiana. This issue sounds really technical and it sounds very obscure at some level initially when you look at it, but the thing is it really matters that we get these standards right because when flares operate efficiently, they can emit five times more pollution than flares that operate efficiently. Five times more pollution. Modernizing flare regulations would help improve the air quality for Hoosiers living near polluters around the state. In Lake County, people living near the BP Whiting refinery have had to experience degraded air quality for about 130 years due to flare and other emissions. The state of Indiana, Ohio, and the state of Washington's Northwest Air Pollution Authority sued BP Exploration and Oil Company, Amoco Oil Company, and Atlantic Richfield Company in 2000, alleging that the companies violated several parts of the Clean Air Act, including unnecessarily flaring hydrogen sulfide-rich gases and other gases instead of directing them to a recovery facility. The companies entered into an agreement with the federal government agreeing to install pollution reduction controls and devices at the Whiting Refinery and several other facilities across the U.S. BP also agreed to draw up a plan for each refinery to reduce the number, duration, and quantity of pollutants emitted through hydrocarbon flaring by 2003. The agreement called for automated controls and standards to achieve 98% combustion efficiency of waste gas burned in each flaring device. The company then applied for and received a permit in 2008 to update the Whiting refinery to accept Canadian Extra Heavy Crude Oil, which requires more energy and water to refine and contains more sulfur, heavy metals, and other toxic contaminants than lighter crude oil. Several environmental groups, including the Hoosier Environmental Council, petitioned the EPA to review the permit, saying BP failed to take into account emissions from flares and other sources. The EPA agreed, and the Indiana Department of Environmental Management rewrote the permit to reflect the additional sources of emissions. Continued violations of EPA regulations and the consent decree at the Whiting Refinery forced the states and companies to enter into a separate consent decree in 2012 that focused solely on the Whiting Refinery. The company agreed to pay a civil penalty of $7.2 million to the U.S. and $800,000 to the state of Indiana, as well as $400 million in pollution controls, including new flare gas recovery systems to reduce emissions produced by flares. The Whiting Refinery's manager, Don Porter, told a local paper that the refinery tries not to flare. Besides the environmental impact, burning up gases is expensive. Despite that assurance and the pursuit of new flare controls, the Whiting Refinery continued to face flaring issues. 
In June 2019, people living across the street from the refinery reported massive flaring that lasted through the night. One neighbor said the flares were large and noisy, like a Bunsen burner, but 10,000 times worse. The company said the flaring was due to a minor operational upset. Flaring and other harmful emissions from the Whiting refinery have made an impact on the health of people living near the facility, and that trend can be seen all throughout the country. I think fundamentally, we have made great strides in improving air quality in the United States since the Clean Air Act passed in the early 1970s. But the thing that there are certain types and sources of air pollution that are still not adequately controlled, number one. And number two, we've just become more sensitized as a society to the reality that poor communities, both urban and rural, can really bear a disproportionate burden of air pollution. So I think those are two major overarching reasons why we're involved and why gr groups across the country are involved. One, that it, there are gaps in what federal and state law protects us from, and B, that we're more sensitive to environmental justice. I think there's a third reason that has become clear in the context of the pandemic as to why we need to work on air quality issues, which is we have come to learn that people who go in to the environment of the COVID pandemic with compromised respiratory systems resulting from chronic air pollution, they're going to be more vulnerable to getting COVID, they're going to be more vulnerable to suffering from COVID. About 52,000 people live within three miles of the Whiting refinery. About 75% of those residents are minorities, and more than half of those residents live below the poverty level. For decades, those residents have been exposed to the hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of toxic chemicals emitted into the air every year through flaring and other sources. Emissions amounts have reduced in the last 10 years, but in 2018, the refinery still reported emitting 425,777 pounds of toxics. Indiana's other refinery, the smaller Countrymark Cooperative, is located in Mount Vernon, a rural part of southwestern Indiana. About a quarter of the 7,775 people living within three miles of the facility live below the poverty level. The refinery has about 6% of the Whiting refinery's production capability and emits about 18% the amount of toxic chemicals. In 2017, the Countrymark refinery emitted 48,206 pounds of toxics. The following year, the number of toxics emitted skyrocketed to 78,415 pounds. Carbanda said reviewing and updating flare standards would help those residents breathe cleaner air, but is concerned environmental regulation rollbacks may make that goal difficult to achieve. We're very concerned. I mean, I think there's been a very aggressive effort to dismantle public health safeguards in this country. It's alarming. It's far greater and more significant than what happened under George W. Bush or what happened under Ronald Reagan. And I think that the irony, there's two major ironies in this. One is that Trump said that he wants to see America have the cleanest possible air and water in the world. He's made that very clear in his speeches. And number two, uh, he's talked about being a champion of the forgotten American. And frankly, the people who will suffer from this air pollution are precisely forgotten Americans. These are people who are either low-income in rural areas or low-income in urban areas. And those are the kinds of Americans that unfortunately can get overlooked when it comes to public policy. 
The EPA will have until early August to review the general flare requirements or face a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co op groceries since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Drop by Wolf Cave at McCormick's Creek State Park on Sunday, June 28th from 1 to 3 p.m. and learn about creepy crawlies that live in the cave. Bring a flashlight or headlight for walking in the cave be sure to practice social distancing. Join the Bloomington Community Orchard Work and Learn Days on Wednesdays from 5 to 8 p.m. at the Flagship Orchard site located at 2120 South Highland Avenue in Bloomington. Activities will include planting, pruning, and general cultivation of the nearly 100 diverse fruit trees and plants. Volunteering is open to people of all ages, abilities, and experience. There will be a trail challenge on Stagecoach Trail at Spring Mills State Park on Friday, June 26th from 10 to 10.30 a.m. Meet Christ at Village Grist Mill to hike this old roadbed that brought visitors to and from the village. The trail is one half mile and very rugged. The hike is limited to 20 people. Reserve your spot at C-C-A-T-L-I-N at dnr.in.gov. Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area is having a grassland songbird walk on Saturday, June 27th from 10 a.m. to noon. Meet at the Visitor Center to learn how to identify some of our rare and declining grassland bird species by sight and sound. Bring water and wear suitable clothing for walking outdoors. Registration is required. Go to the Indiana DNR website to register. Do you like turtles? Here is your chance to think outside the box at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Thursday, July 2nd from 10 to 11.30 a.m. Box turtles are beautiful creatures that need help. Meet at the campground playground to learn why they are threatened and what to do to support them. Please practice social distancing.
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar power systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolar.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.